The biblical imperative for stewardship on behalf of God's creation applies no matter what condition it's in. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. If you think about your house, yeah. if my house is clean, that doesn't mean let's get out the matches. It's right. mud wrestling time. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's clean, so a little bit of mud on the living room floor isn't going to hurt <laughs> I anything, love that right? analogy. It's like, perfect. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if it is in trouble, if it's in a bad state, well, sure, all the more reason to continue to take care of it. Welcome to the Real Talk Podcast from Real FM. Here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello and welcome to the Real Talk Podcast. We are back for season six, and I think we've had a super strong start so far. Yeah. We're coming into episode three right now. This is Isaac. I'm joined by my buddies, Kara. Hey. And Anson. Hello. This is the podcast where we get real about everything from current events, culture, and faith. And I'm looking at the outline of the show I'm super excited about this because on our Struggle Bus feature, Kara is addressing legalism versus repentance and heart change. The Good Vibes segment, I'm talking about how I'm bad at incremental change in both the gym and in life, and I'm getting better at it. Ooh, oh, good job. Okay. I was going to say, yeah. wait, isn't That's that not supposed, the struggle to be, bus. Right, yeah, right, supposed to be right, right, something right. that makes you happy? I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better <laughs> like, at I'm it. bad, and that right. makes me happy. But I'm getting better at it. <laughs> gotcha. I'm following what you know. Anson has an interview with Alex from Hillsong Young and Free that I'm stoked about. They're talking about the tension between writing theologically sound worship songs, selling tickets to a worship concert. Mm-hmm. And then in our main conversation, we are talking about environmental stewardship and how that can sometimes be a hot button issue. We kind of addressed this a little bit on you like think? pre-recording. <laughs> like we're all like, love it. Do we really? <laughs> <laughs> but first let's hop into struggle bus. It's Lent, the season of Lent, which I didn't grow up practicing, but I've learned a lot about the past few years and a lot of Churches now are really talking more about it and giving people tools to set aside some time during this season to basically be introspective and look at your heart and go, all right, where am I out of line with Mm. where things should be? But here's why this is the struggle bus for me, because I have this thing inside of me. One of my friends put it this way. I'm like a magnet for expectations. And so I really struggle with what I would call legalism, both in the church and outside the church. And that's this idea that you have to do X, Y, Z, or you are not an okay person. Like if you do not do this list of things. And like I said, I think it applies to both in church and outside of church because there's so many, again, we've talked about this before in the last episode about optimization obsession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It feels like there's a list of things always present that I'm not living up to. Mm, And sometimes when I go to church and hear sermons about repentance, that's what I hear. Stop and look at the list of all the things you're screwing up and be really sad about them and then try harder. Like that's what I hear. And so I'm very much like I have this inner resistance when people start talking about repentance. I'm like, I don't want to do that. No, because I've been there before. I've been down this road of where legalism takes me and it it makes my depression so much worse. Mm. But I, I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's what that means. I know this in my head. I am loved. So out of that place of love, I can actually love others and I can, I can turn around and make these shifts from my actual heart and not 
from this list of like, I have to do this or I'm not loved. Yeah. Like, I, I know that they're not the same thing, but sometimes they feel like the same thing. Yeah. I'm struggling with that this season and even have had some conversations, journaled a little bit about it with God. Like, I don't know what to do with this. And I feel like there's things I should be repenting of, but <laughs> I'm so afraid of even opening yeah. that Pandora's box. I don't even know where to start with this. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I can speak a little bit to this experience because whenever I hear worship songs, the worship songs that place people in the, oh, I'm just dirt and you (laughs) thought to look at me. Coming from a place of dealing with depression and stuff, that's kind of a hard place to start from of like, I already feel really bad about myself. (laughs) I don't need a reminder that I spit in the face of God daily and just by his forgiveness. I'm like, I know that that is true, but I would rather focus on how much I'm loved by God. So I I totally hear you on that. It it can be hard to listen to repent or burn message right, church right. if you deal with anxiety or and, depression and not even that i'll say this like the church that i'm going to it's not even like that it's not a repent or or else it was like very gently presented it was very much mm-hmm. like it's important for us to examine our hearts and just see where we're at and so it was presented gently yeah. but i think it's me in myself that turns it a little bit into what you're talking about of like oh if i don't do this then I'm not loved. Right. And I think the important kind of delineator there is how we turn the corner. So like a couple of weeks ago, we had Ash Wednesday, yeah. right? Started the Lenten season. And the whole yeah. idea behind Ash Wednesday is, you know, I'm putting this smudge on my forehead yeah. to remind myself that I am dust, right? So right. you want to talk about yeah. <laughs> low self-esteem or whatever. I totally could see how the start of the Lenten season and Ash Wednesday, that's kind of the feeling that you're left with. Yeah. But that's not the end of the story, right? right? Yeah. Ash Wednesday is the start of the Lenten season, right. which ends in Jesus's death and resurrection. It ends in Easter. Yeah. Right. And resurrection is the end of the story. Yeah. And if we aren't connecting the dots properly right. between mm. the beginning and the end, we're going to get off track. Yeah. And yes, the start of the story is... Yeah, we're dust. We mess yeah. it up. But that's not the end of the story. Right. And it, and there's kind of a fork in the road. I think that mm. we could take from that point on. Yeah. You could go to the left and you could kind of say, well, I am like dust. I'm a terrible person. I've failed God. And therefore I am hated by God. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus no, Jesus came and died for me despite my condition. The reason that I need to be aware of my own failing and the fact that I am but dust is because that makes God's glory in his desire to save me and love me all the more incredible, all the more amazing, right? Mm -hmm. It increases our understanding of God's grace and how profound and deep and wide it is Mm -hmm. because I know where I came from and I know what he rescued me from. Mm -hmm. And that context is helpful because it helps us understand the profundity of God's grace. Yeah. I think that is the struggle because I know, again, like I said, the connection exists. I know. Okay. Yes. The end of the story story is Jesus wins. But what about right now in the story? Mm -hmm. How do I deal with like the reality of turning from my sin? Mm. Like, what is that actually? The middle of the story. Like the middle. Yeah. Maybe the middle of the story. Like acknowledging, okay, I know I'm broken. Now what? How do I deal with that without falling into a greater depression or without? And I I guess the answer is by keeping in mind the end of the story. Like, Mm -hmm. because I'm thinking of Paul who said that 
his hope was that the the one who started the good work is going to finish it. Right. And that's what I was going to say is like the work, the end of the story is being written. Yeah. Like it's in progress right now. Right. And so I think that's something that's important for us to keep in mind too. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's not just waiting for like, well, I'm a screw up and I'm, I'm dust and I will be (laughs) until someday I die. And maybe at that point, then I have a resurrected body. No, like Jesus is writing that story now. It's a work in progress. Right. It's not finalized. Yeah. But it's happening. it's happening now. To add to that, the thing that I sort of have to reassure myself with daily, the sum of all of my screw ups and sin, it just pales in comparison to the Mm. forgiveness and love that Jesus has done and is extending Mm. as the story is being written. Nothing that I'm capable of doing is so bad that it's going to (laughs) outweigh Jesus's love for me. (laughs) I have to wake up and drill that into my head daily. So it is my good vibes segment. And like Anson said, I kind of started this off a little bit dubiously. Like saying, I'm bad at incremental success. Yay! Um, yay! Just acceptance of that. That makes me feel good this week, honestly. Yeah. No, so I've been trying to get better at doing some sort of physical activity, getting myself active in 2020. And I started the year very gung-ho of daily gym attendance, and then that fell off quickly when I realized (laughs) I like video games and I'd rather be doing that. (laughs) But sort of in the last couple of weeks, I've been just finding something to do and being good with that, where I ride my bike or you guys, I've been like getting on my office floor, which is a hardwood, uncomfortable floor in my home. And I've just been like stretching for like 10 minutes. Wow. Daily. This is like Ike yoga where it's like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm like, <laughs> I think I did this in baseball once. Oh, this feels good. But I've just been like stretching and feeling good physically lately. Mm. And that's been so good. And I think good. a large part of this that I'm getting happy about is that I am slowly sort of coming into the understanding that, hey, this is okay. Kind of like our hustle episode where it was like, oh, well, it's got to be all or nothing. Yes. I think I've broken through that wall of, Dude, just literally stretch. You've ridden your bike today. This is good. You can be good with this. Yeah. That's fine. And mm. honestly, mental health wise, it's been feeling good. That's like, awesome. I'm excited knowing that I'm going to go home tonight, roll out Bree's yoga mat that nice. I've stolen and then just <laughs> get some stretching in. I'm so pumped about that. I feel really good about it. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I can totally relate to this because I've been trying to get more active as well for my mental health this year. And it's a struggle. And there are days yeah. where like I made it to the gym one day this week, but then Ooh. I know I'm not going to probably make it this other day. That's okay. And in my head, I, I I do the whole like, well, it doesn't count if I only do this. Yeah. And so what I've been telling myself is like a 10 minute walk around the neighborhood counts. Boom. Stretching mm-hmm. in my living room, doing like a 10 minute sissy yoga video counts Boom. <laughs> because it's moving my body. It's yeah. something. It's yeah. incremental. And eventually that will lead to more. Can yeah. I? tie this back to the conversation yes, that we, we just were literally had. just having like <laughs> yeah, a couple yeah, yeah, seconds yeah, yeah, yeah. ago. Yeah. 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 Like uh, we were just talking about legalism, right? And I like know. this idea that like we have all of these things that we have to fulfill or else we cannot feel good in yes. any way about yes. what we're doing. Oh, like gosh. I feel like this incremental success is exactly what we were getting at in that previous That's- discussion as well. It's like learning to be okay with these mm-hmm. little victories that happen yeah. along the way. Yep. That by definition, also involve little failures. Yeah. Like there are days where we don't get the 10 minutes in and there are days that we do. And like, so learning to be okay with not 
Mm. hitting a home run every single time is hard work. But if you can kind of find your way into that space where you're okay with a a single, if I'm going to keep using the dumb baseball analogy. Yeah, yeah, a single. You've got to be okay with that. That's really good. Um, So I've been happy with that. Sort of living in my body. Respecting good it, job. getting some cherry picking, stretching good them. Job. It's all good. <laughs> cherry pickers are fun, by the way. That's, That's where you awesome. lean over, you spread your legs like a weird duck, and then you like, like a weird duck. throw your body between your legs. Oh, it wow. Feels good. Is that yeah. like an actual name for that or one that you just came up with? My coach always called them cherry pickers. Okay. So, That's awesome. because the one thing I was kind of thinking that I want out of this uh-huh. is Isaac's names yes. for his oh. homemade oh, Isaac yoga, some Ricci boys. <laughs> I want Isaac yoga. Like, I want to a be a book. Thing. That yeah. has Isaac demonstrating all of these oh, different poses. Okay, okay, okay. Like the, here's the Isaac Ricci boy. All right, I found the, one. Oh and my I, gosh! I don't know if this is an actual yoga pose, <laughs> yeah. but I do it nightly now, and it feels really good. <laughs> I'll take a picture of me doing it after yes. this episode, and we'll post it in the insider group oh, with no awesome. context. <laughs> and by the time people realize and listen to this episode, they'll find out why we did it. That's so amazing. Okay, okay cool. I'm Perfect. excited about right this. <laughs> every little thing, every little thing. Now it is time for On the Record, and I'm excited for this episode to be going on the record with Alexander Pampas of Hillsong Young and Free, obviously an Australian contemporary worship group from Sydney, where they started making Christian music in 2012 as a part of Hillsong Church. And uh, Alex, I don't expect you to remember this necessarily, but I actually had a chance to meet you about a year ago. It was at a uh, radio event at Pat Barrett's church in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, and uh, I remember just in our brief time that we had to talk to each other that you said you were originally from Idaho, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I think it's fair to say that here in the U.S., we kind of have a fascination with foreign accents, like English accents or Australian accents. So I'm just curious if this ever happens to you. Do people ever come up to you expecting to hear this Australian accent and then they're like disappointed or something that you sound just like a normal American? <laughs> if anything, the funny thing is everybody assumes I'm Australian when they meet me. Yeah. And they, yeah, and they're like, oh, I love your accent. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same as you. They're like, Oh, so cool. <laughs> Just trying to be nice. Yeah, those Idaho yeah. accents are pretty strong, I guess. I, I definitely have, like, developed a major, like, mutt accent, though. Yeah. Definitely a bit neither here nor there. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. At least that's what my family tells me. Gotcha. So I'll admit as well, speaking of uh, your family, to doing a bit of um, of snooping on your Instagram. And it looks like as a couple months ago, you're a newlywed. Is that true? That is true. It was like two months yesterday. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Very exciting. That's yeah. <laughs> that's really awesome. It is, um, obviously, you're out on, on tour for Winter Jam right now. Is your wife able to be with you out on tour? Or? She is not. The, the tour's a bit broken up for us. So like, I'll see her in a couple weeks and then go away again for a couple weeks. But yeah, it's all right. Luckily, our our relationship was born into time apart so okay so you're kind of used to this already a little bit a little bit yeah Yeah, it's gotta be challenging though to be two months married and then be on the road without her just a few weeks after that right yeah i'll I'll let you know in a couple weeks how uh being apart married (laughs) (laughs) if it's any different yeah i'll give you an update that's exciting though two months yeah thank you very cool So as uh, we were just talking about, you're obviously out on tour for Winter Jam. And I'm kind of curious about your perspective on something as a worship leader. I think a lot of worship leaders, like even at the local 
church level sometimes feel this push and pull between leading people in worship versus being up on stage and there's lights and fog machines and all that kind of stuff. And obviously you're a worship pastor for Hillsong and leading people in worship at your church and across the world. And then at the same time you're out on tour and you're doing these like high energy shows where people are paying for tickets and probably have some level of expectation for being entertained. And and so I'm kind of wondering, like, do you ever feel this tension between those two things, like leading people in worship versus being up on stage or putting on an entertaining show? Is that, is that something that you have to deal with at all? Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's a pastor on our team that puts it really well and, um, you know, describes our job as worship leaders and preachers and pretty much anybody who's following the call of God on their lives is that at the end of the day, God actually calls each and every one of us to make His name and His kingdom be known. And so, like, there isn't an element of we have to go, like, look at me. Like, our job is to invite people, to draw people in, even if it's simply just to tell your testimony. It's out of a place of, you know, I've drawn their attention in, like, that people want to hear what we have to say. And so, kind of like, no different to worship leading that our job is essentially to draw people in, to bring their attention and to help them focus and then point them to Jesus. And so, yeah, like obviously there there is an element of like, oh, you know, make sure my heart and my focus is in the right place. Mm-hmm. But I would only look at all those things, the lights and the flashing whatever and the media and all this stuff as tools in my tool belt to actually help me bring people in to then make it easier for me to point people to Jesus. Yeah. And obviously you're not just a worship leader, but you're also a songwriter. And so obviously writing songs, uh, there's that same purpose and call that God has put on you. And I'm sure in your position, you're no stranger to all the like arguing and bickering that can happen regarding like theology and worship songs and like, um, you know, (laughs) reckless love is a good example recently of like, you could waste hours away reading Facebook or Twitter threads of people arguing about whether God's love is actually reckless. Yeah. Right. So how do you deal with that responsibility as well? Because I'm sure as a songwriter, obviously, you take very seriously your responsibility to communicate truth about God and your music and and when you're leading worship, uh, while also not just like constantly second guessing yourself or wondering how people are going to react to it, you know? Oh, totally. And and I think the, the great thing is like most of us, and I would hope most worship songwriters specifically there that we're writing out of what we've realized of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so like, hopefully that lyrics that we're writing are genuine and true to that. And we can all sort of tell when it's just regurgitated information, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I heard a song about God's grace and then I rewrite it, you know, but yeah. we write something out of like something that we've come to realize about him, whether in a struggle or, you know, hopefully in the good times as well. But in my opinion, that's kind of where the great songs come from. And so that's real, that's genuine. But then also on the other side of things is, at least for our church, we have our teaching pastors. Their names are Robert and Amanda Ferguson. And they're like the most amazing, adorable, Hmm. like English couple and brilliant theologians. And every single word that we write and say has to pass their like test. Gotcha. And so, you know, every so often there's a little bit, but they're like, that is theologically incorrect. And you're like, okay, that's the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but no, they're amazing. And, you know, sometimes we get in a little uh, argument over colloquialism right. <laughs> and modern day jargon. But no, it, it's amazing because you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I know from, for me, 
especially as a young person, and even now, my theology is so formed around the lyrics that I'm singing in right. church. And so it's so important that we put truth in people's mouths. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, yeah, that's gotta be, that's a cool resource to have at your disposal. It's like these brilliant theological minds. Oh, and, and then at the same time, maybe also a little bit intimidating, I imagine occasionally. Oh, early days. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like when you're, when I was younger, you'd hear horror stories about like, oh man, I brought this to rubber men and they ripped me. <laughs> but no, they're actually, they're actually amazing. They're so, they're actually so patient with us. And it's, mm. yeah, like you said, it's such an a blessing to have this at our disposal. Are, are you familiar with like the idea of uh, like imposter syndrome, like this feeling of like inadequacy despite evidence of success? I mean, obviously like Hillsong Young and Free is one of the best known worship bands across the world and you do these big, huge shows. But like, is that idea of like feeling like, do I really belong here? Like writing these songs for all these people or leading all these people? Like, is that something that you deal with at all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I think, I mean, I think comparison is the biggest killer of creativity, mm. but like at the end of the day, like I, I know that I'm so guilty of it. And that's something that very regularly I have to refocus myself and make sure I'm not trying to hop in somebody else's lane, but stay in mind. But you know, like something people say is like writing one great song doesn't really make you any more equipped to write another good one. Mm. So yeah, there's a there's this feeling all the time is, oh my gosh, will I ever write another good song? <laughs> yeah. Know. You sit down by yourself at a keyboard and nothing comes to you. Right. But yeah. I mean, I think it's, again, it's refocusing and, and believing that God's got a plan and a purpose for you. And, and he didn't, and you're not here by mistake. Right. Like no, none of us are where we are mm. on accident. God actually has a plan. And remembering that is that takes a little bit of the pressure off, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Speaking of writing music and writing new songs, uh, you guys actually have a new single that's coming out and that we're actually playing now on Real FM. And so I was wondering if you could tell us uh, anything about the song Best Friends. Yeah, I mean, this is just, we wrote it for... Um, our summer camp where we just recorded this new album and including Best Friends. And uh, yeah, I don't know, we, we just brought, wanted to write a song that was so unifying that like would really like unite people that, you know, we obviously live in a world where there's, there's so much um, about identity being, you know, blasted at us everywhere you go. Mm -hmm. and you're, and you're like, like I was saying before, like so many ways that we can compare ourselves to this and that that isn't actually healthy for us and i don't know we just wrote this song that would be a truth that that we could just declare at the top of our lungs that like we want to live by the truth and the word and the life that is we that we can find with jesus and so i don't know we pray this song is going to be a major blessing to, to people to just blast this truth and also hopefully have a lot of fun while doing it <laughs> Now on to our conversation on environmental stewardship. And I think that it's important to start at a place of acknowledging that three goobers in a room talking about this. <laughs> my goal for this isn't necessarily to win over skeptics. This isn't meant to yell you into submission in one direction <laughs> or the other. It's more to just examine what the Bible says about stewardship mm -hmm. and where we can move forward together 
not from a place of division, but from a place of unity in terms of taking care of our planet. Yeah, I think we kind of just acknowledge the elephant in the room, right? This is yeah. a highly politicized issue. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, I don't think. I mean, I think there are certain parts of it that, that are, certainly yeah. in terms of our political response to these things. But I think there's a lot of room here for talking about this really from a spiritual perspective right. as well, of kind of saying mm-hmm. like, what does God call us to be or do as far as it relates to his creation and the environment. There's a lot of room for us to have discussion here that I think hopefully isn't going to alienate you or any of us right out of the box. I don't know that even the three of us in this room necessarily agree on every issue when it comes to environmental stewardship, but we feel like this is absolutely an important issue that's worth discussing. We can actually talk about some of these things out in the open without it turning into one of these Twitter, Facebook political fights where all of a sudden everyone just yelling at each other. Yes. This has been such an important issue for both me and my wife. I've done some self-examination on how I view the issues around our environments and how other Christians in my life have looked at them as well. Growing up, my family very much bought into the narrative that our planet was doing fine, that the alarmist scientists yelling about our natural gas consumption and the pollution being done to our planet, they were either grifters trying to make a name for themselves or, more dubiously, they were using the Trojan horse of caring about the environment to push a more liberal agenda through. So environmentalism tended to get interwoven with the theory of evolution and more often than not anti-capitalist rhetoric. So Mm -hmm. these were basically non-starters for my family growing up in the South, my Christian family growing up in the South. We were farmers. We cultivated the land using trucks and equipment that were labeled as gas guzzlers Mm -hmm. to make money. So we were basically immediately put on the opposite end of people who care about the environment, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the alarmist narrative on climate change that made for really nice punchy quotes on the news had, I believe, the opposite effect on my family and other families like me, maybe yours in the Bible Belt, because by the time climate activists like Al Gore started giving out these expiration dates, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. the world will be out of X or we Mm -hmm. will run out of Y by the year 20 something. Right. Mm -hmm. By the time those lines were getting drawn, environmentalism had already become a culture issue, right? It became a spectrum issue of, well, if you're on the left, you care about it. If you're on the right, you don't. Those liberals think that they're so smart and they think we're dumb because we use tractors. And that's Mm. basically how that argument got diluted down from the news. And I think all of this was to our detriment. That's why I'm passionate about it, because I think we've framed the issue so horribly that we've got to walk things back a little bit before we move forward. Mm. Did you guys have a similar experience growing up with me? Like, Yeah. yeah. I also grew up in a small farming community in Nebraska. So very similar. I really didn't think about this issue at all, Mm -hmm. (laughs) really, until probably college or a little later. And Even I confessed to you guys before we started the podcast, I was doing a lot of research about this this week. And even this morning before we started, I'm having like palpable anxiety about (laughs) talking about this because I know it's such a hot topic. But as I've read about it and studied it, I think it's super important. And I think the perspective you're talking about is the place that I take a deep breath and I go, okay, I can at least approach this and Mm -hmm. have a conversation about it from the perspective of there's so many voices. God, what do you think about this? I actually went to the gym last night and like pounded it out and was like, I don't know what to think. Like, I'm so confused, but God, what do you say about this? What do Mm -hmm. you think? And so I think that's 
hopefully where we want to land the plane through our discussion today. Honestly, I think that's really interesting that both of you guys grew up in these like very rural, like farming mm-hmm. environments. And I think a lot of, like you said, Isaac, damage was done from the approach and the way that this issue has been politicized mm-hmm. because there's like this kind of irony that like, wait a second, you're telling me that all of these people off somewhere in Washington, D.C. or in this big city yeah. are trying to tell me <laughs> living out here in Nebraska or in Arkansas on a farm, take care of nature. Yeah. Like, and I'm out here like... Right living off of the land. Like, Mm. I I mean, I I think there's a lot of those feelings and and in some cases very understandable. Like you're going like, wait a second, I'm I'm literally out here like taking care of the land and and you're telling me that everything that I do is terrible and that I am Mm. dumb and that I don't know what I'm talking about. And and you're off like flying to all of your conferences on a jet plane (laughs) and talking about how we need to stop using up all of our resources. Mm. Like there's some hypocrisy there. Right. And so I think from both sides, there's just a lot of angst and a lot of defensiveness. And we've just put all of these walls up because of how politicized the issue has become. And I love what you're talking about, Kara, of coming back to saying, all right, can we set all of that aside for a second? Not saying that politics doesn't matter, that we shouldn't think about Mm -hmm. that at all. But can we come back to as Christians from a Christian worldview, what does God say about his creation? What does Mm -hmm. God say about the environment? And that really was kind of my background on this issue. I certainly grew up in a Christian family. We weren't farmers. I lived in a small city, but I grew up with a Christian education. And, And even from a young age, I wouldn't say we were like, overly environmentalist. And there were certainly some of the same types of concerns about environmental extremism and Mm, things that you guys are talking about from your upbringing. But I think there was always kind of this openness to like, okay, but like recycling, right? That's not a bad thing. Like recycling's probably good, right? (laughs) Or tending to a garden or like, Mm. I mean, there, there are certain aspects, I think, even in what people might lump into the anti-environmentalism crowd. It's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. So so that was kind of my background. And that's why I'm excited about this discussion is because I think God actually does have a fair bit to say Mm -hmm. about how we treat and take care of his creation. And I think it's potentially a spot where we could find some common ground and some unity between two sides that in the political environment have really been wedged apart. Yes, definitely. And I think the biggest place we can look at right now is the spectrum of belief on this within the church community and within the body of Christ. Emma Francis Bloomfield wrote a book called Communication Strategies for Engaging Climate Skeptics, Religion and the Environment. So she's kind of got this set up between separators, bargainers and harmonizers. So the separation argument being that Faith and the environment are at odds and environmentalism threatens my faith. Scientists are using a good cause to push more agendas through. Mm. The sort of bargainer are people who acknowledge that the climate is changing and it'll always do that. And that's Mm. not a side effect of my participation Mm. in society. And then the third one being harmonizers, environmentalism is a part of my Christian walk. I'm here to garden the planet. I'm going to do that. I'm actually bringing in a fourth category to this because there is a researcher and podcaster named Tad DeLay. He has this term called apocalypticism, and it sounds very scary. I know that. (laughs) But that's basically the idea that we're not going to see a 22nd century. Jesus is returning very soon. So why would I bother 
trying mm. to take care of the planet. There's a lot of history to that viewpoint, oh, yeah. and it's not a new viewpoint. Yeah. Going all the way back to the very early church, that Gnosticism is one of the major issues in the mm-hmm. first century church, which is this like dualistic view that teaches that there is a separation between matter and spirit, right? Or between secular, non-spiritual things and spiritual things, mm-hmm. right? And so there are the spiritual things of God. Those are the things that are good. And then anything that is not in that category goes into the other bucket, which is basically the material world. And that becomes evil, more mm-hmm. or less, right? Right. So Christians in the modern church who say that the environment doesn't really matter because it's just part of this physical world and it's going to burn away are kind of carrying on the heritage of this Gnostic movement. Hmm. But if you think about it, to me, it's kind of like saying, you know, I really respect Rembrandt as a painter. But then you show me a painting of Rembrandt's and I go, yeah, but that's that's garbage. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like, right, 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 right. Oh. How, how can I respect yeah. the work and the creativity of an artist and yeah. then trash their art? Right. That yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and so I would draw the same comparison to God. It, it is inconceivable to me to honor the creator hmm. and yet despise his creation. Right. Yeah. And we're told in Genesis that his creation was good. Yeah. Right. Mm. Creation preceded the fall. Yeah. Right. The original creation was perfect and good. So there was nothing evil about material or matter no. just for the sake of it being material and matter. There is goodness in creation that has been corrupted. Yeah. Absolutely. But not so corrupted that every piece of matter is evil. Yeah. In fact, there's so many scriptures that say the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth displays his handiwork. Mm -hmm. Like I was reading an article from Brett McCracken. He said, the word of God is not just in black and red letters on onion skin pages. It's living and breathing in the mountains and the deserts and the trees. He glories in it. And so should we. Right. I almost feel like the Gnosticism, like you're talking about and the apocalypticism that Tad brings up, it's almost a sort of logical response that people could have When they hear these deadlines that are put out, they're saying like, well, by 2010, we're not going to have this anymore and we're all going to be underwater. Well, when (laughs) 2011 rolls around, you go, well, Mm. these experts were lying to me. So, I mean, what's the point? Why should I listen to anything else that they say? And I think Mm. that's kind of the unfortunate side effect of the extremist rhetoric coming at it as a all or nothing. We Mm -hmm. talked about gradual changes of this episode. We talked about small incremental success. When anything is framed as an all or nothing argument, we can't be surprised when people respond, okay, well then for me, it's nothing. Yeah. Forget it. You know? Right. Mm. I think that we have to sort of change and walk back the way that we're looking at this. I think one other subcategory of this issue that you're talking about where Christians might have this response to say like, it doesn't matter what we do is this idea. Well, in Genesis, God gave us dominion over the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have dominion over the earth, it's ours to use up as we see fit. It's Mm. for our purposes. It's for our utilization. And once it's gone, it's gone. And that's fine because God's going to make a new one. So it's Mm. this very like utilitarian kind of view of the earth that the earth and everything in it belongs to man. God gave it to us to use up. And that's what we're doing. This was even kind of popularized back in the 80s by a guy named James Watt, who is a professing evangelical, and he became the U.S. Secretary of the Interior under Ronald Reagan. And he wrote an article that's uh, titled Ours is the Earth. And he kind of laid out this view that the earth is merely a temporary way station on the road to eternal life. The earth was put here by God for his people to subdue and to use for profitable purposes on their way to the hereafter. But 
other theologians did not come to this conclusion at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look back to like John Calvin in the 1500s and he interpreted the word dominion to mean responsible care, not neglect, injure, abuse, corruption, marring, ruining the earth. Yeah. Uh, dominion, I think we could kind of conflate that word with domination. Right. So yeah. God gave us domination over the earth and we're to like right. subdue it. Right. Huh. Like, but being in dominion does not necessarily mean dominating something. Right. Yeah. Dominion just yeah. means I've been given authority. Right. Or yeah. yes. I'm in charge of this. You area. are the caretaker. Right. So I think back mm. to Adam as an example of this. Adam was given dominion over the animals and over the garden of Eden. Yeah. Right. right. That doesn't mean that he just laid waste. <laughs> no. to the garden of Eden. Elbow drop a Buffalo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're my home now. Right. Like <laughs> scripture is very clear that Adam was the caretaker of the garden of Eden. It right. was his job to care for the plants and animals and for his wife and for him to be responsible and, and mm. serve and work the ground. Right. Mm. And Jesus reinforces this model of, serving and keeping rather than oppressive domination. He, hmm. he reinforces that by taking the very nature of a servant we're told. Right. Right. And so I think Adam is a really good example of, of what dominion and humans role in nature actually looks like from a biblical perspective. We are its caretakers. We are its stewards. And that's where yeah. this, these phrases, creation, care, or environmental stewardship come up from a right. Christian worldview hmm. is we're saying, no, God made us to be stewards of right. the creation that he's given us. So let's do that job well. Yeah. And I think the hard part for that is that that worldview comes with an element of responsibility. It's a little bit more involved than the idea of dominion. I'm here to take. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is mine. I don't have to worry about recycling my Diet Coke bottle. But I think that we can sort of drop the political lenses together. And let's look at the fact that there's mountains of plastic floating in our ocean yeah it's kind of congealing into islands that we're calling trash islands right mm. clearly it's an actual thing that's yeah, happening this is probably a problem like the fact yeah. that yeah. sea life is choking to death from trash like, right we can find ways to reduce in that mm. but like that sort of mentality does bring this to some personal responsibility of, that's true that mm. means i have to start going out of my way to change my own life right right yeah and i think part of the problem for a lot of christians who grew up in this environment where there's alarmists talking about how the world's not going to exist anymore in five years or 10 years or right. whatever. Yeah. And, and they hear this kind of extreme, overwhelmingly alarmist rhetoric. And then they see, hey, that's not actually bearing out. Well, if that's not true, maybe we don't really have as big of a problem as people keep saying. Exactly. And, and so then we can kind of ignore or gloss over some of these things that really probably are a problem, like the giant floating islands of trash in the ocean. Right. <laughs> and so I think there's this kind of conflation that happens where we say, like, well, if I say I care about one thing, right, like recycling, then what's next? Right. Oh. Like if I if I jump on board with you on this thing, then it's just going to lead to another and another yeah. and another. And, and you're going to try to keep driving me down this road all the way to this like really extreme view of this. Right. Right. There's kind of this slippery slope fallacy mm -hmm. that's occurring mm -hmm. there, especially if I grew up in like the sixties or the seventies, like, and there's these extreme environmentalists, these like tree huggers. I love the trees and the environment. And right. it leads me all the way to like pantheism. Like I, right. I worship mother nature and Gaia and like all yeah. this I think a lot of Christians kind of get hung up on this thing of like, mm -hmm. well, if I start down this road, right. uh, like, is that where I'm going to end up? Am I going to be hmm. identified with like right. pantheism, like identification of nature as God or paganism, right. or is it going to get all new agey? But I, I think the point <laughs> that you are making there, Isaac, is 
we can care about trash in the ocean, right? Yes. Without going all the way to right. worshiping the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Paganistic. There's this slippery slope thing that I understand is concerning. I get why. Right. But we can draw a line. We can say. Absolutely. We can take care of God's creation, but still recognizing that it's a created thing. Yeah. yeah. Just like we are. It's not something that we're worshiping. Yeah. 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 I think of this quote by Scott Martin. He said, creation is not an end in itself, something to be worshiped in place of the creator. It's rather something that points us if we're willing to pay attention to a good, gracious, powerful, extravagant and loving God. A world that disregards or distances itself from creation is a world that will naturally disregard and distance itself from God. Mm. Right. And I like that you brought that up because I think that if we view sort of caretaking the earth as an act of worship and not as necessarily like crisis prevention. Mm. So this article and this book that Emma Bloomfield wrote, she mentions that one in three Christians think that environmental issues are the result of human activity. This Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. study done by the Pew Research Center. That means that two out of three Christians don't think that way. Even if we're not in sort of a dire, let's do away with the deadlines. If we're not in this countdown to doomsday, there's still a responsibility here for us to do our part to make sure everything's okay. Right. Look, Mm -hmm. the climate change topic is a huge topic. Right. And it's something that's worth a lot of discussion and investigation. Mm. You said at the outset of the show, Isaac, we're not scientists sitting in this room. There are people, climatologists that are far more educated on this issue and uh, far more experts in this field that you could probably go listen to their podcast and learn a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot more than you would probably learn listening to us (laughs) talking about that issue. Right. And I think that's a good thing. In fact, part of where I've landed as one of my conclusions from what we've talked about so far is I need to learn more about this issue. Mm, I need to educate myself more. Yeah. And so I want to go learn. And I think that's something that's good for all of us to go do. Mm -hmm. But whether you believe that climate change is happening or not, Mm. Whether you believe that it's because of man or not, or somewhere in between, wherever you land on that spectrum, we have created this idea that if there isn't a crisis, then stewardship isn't necessary. If things aren't burning up and falling apart, like all of these people have been saying, (laughs) then why are we making such a big deal out of this? Right. Mm -hmm. But the biblical imperative for stewardship on behalf of God's creation applies no matter what condition it's in. (laughs) Right. Right? Even if everything's fine and dandy. Right. That doesn't mean great. We can start burning it down. Yeah. Right. Like, like, I mean, if <laughs> you think, if you think about your house, right. Yeah. That, yeah. If, if my house is clean, that doesn't mean like, okay, great. Let's get out the matches. It's right. mud wrestling time. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's clean. So a little bit of mud on the living room floor isn't going to hurt <laughs> I anything, love that right? analogy. That's like, perfect. That doesn't yeah. make any sense. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if it is in trouble, like if the floor desperately needs vacuumed, which it does, um, and the, <laughs> at least at my house. Uh, that wasn't like a metaphor no, for the fair. larger world. I'm just, my house needs vacuumed. Even if it's in a bad state, well, sure. Like that's, I guess yeah. maybe you could say all the more reason to continue to take care of it. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. but there's not not the situation where like, okay, if everything's in good shape, that gives us license now to be disrespectful to our right. home and, yes. and treat it poorly. Yeah. Like, yeah. so responsible stewardship is not an option. It's, it's a continuing privilege and responsibility yeah. no matter what state the environment is in. Well, and I think about what the word stewardship actually means or the concept of a steward. I don't feel like it's a modern day word or thing it's that not, we have yeah. as much. Kudos to, to dad. He used to tell me about this in his Bible studies, how stewardship is essentially... I don't actually own this thing. God has just entrusted it to Mm. me to manage for him. It actually belongs to him. So what you were just explaining, Anson, it's like me 
renting my house. This right. is not actually it's not even your house. my house. Right. So that to me gives me even more of a mm-hmm. responsibility than just, oh, it's my floor. And if it gets dirty, who cares? Right. Like, it's, it's my own choice. It's not actually mine. That's I, sh- a, yeah. I should probably yeah. take a little better care of it than if I was just, yeah. well, who cares? It'll, mm, what know. a great point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so key. I like this analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I love the point that we are kind of renting the planet because mm-hmm. that sort of changes even my perspective on this of like, How can we practically be good renters? How can we actually take some steps daily? Like I married someone who graduated with a degree in sustainability. Ah, Wow. That's not intimidating at all. That explains a lot (laughs) in terms of the pressure like you might feel. Right. Right. Before that, I didn't care at all. So I have made personally this sort of transition from Hmm. nothing to gradual baby steps. Hmm. And I consider myself somewhat of an expert in gradual baby steps. Um, So Brie has kind of educated me on certain things that you can do every day. So shout out to Brie on this. Yeah. And one of the things that has been hard for me to surrender has been just the convenience things like the convenience of just being able to just toss the plastic bottle into the trash can or throw my glass Topo Chico bottles away and not drive them over to the recycling bin. I do that now. Another thing is that eating meat is so good. (laughs) If if I could have a hamburger for every meal of my day, I would do that. I have done that. Um, (laughs) That's amazing. But part of my being a good renter, for me at least, is making small sacrifices. I am not a full vegetarian, Mm. but most of my diet through a week is a vegetarian diet. I will still eat meat Mm. every now and then. I'm fine with that. But even just going one meal of sacrificing that hamburger Mm -hmm. and opting for a veggie burger or something, small efforts like that, Mm -hmm. even sporadically and even gradually building up those baby steps matters. You can make small changes. So for someone who doesn't necessarily know a lot about how all of this works or what the kind of like chain of reaction is for one little thing that I do, what that leads to, what does giving up a hamburger, a meal Mm. actually accomplish other than just denying myself the opportunity to eat a hamburger. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to give a big example. Yeah. Okay. So this is just for one day. If everyone went vegetarian in the U S for just one day, that would be saving a hundred billion gallons of water. That would be enough to supply all of the homes in new England for almost four months. Mm. Flex for new England, I guess that's cool. (laughs) That would save 1.5 billion pounds of crops. Otherwise used to feed livestock. That's enough to feed the state of New Mexico for more than a year and 33 tons of antibiotics, 70 million gallons of gas. So small changes like that, even if you personally are making a meal a week, a meal out of a week, saying, I'm going to surrender this, a Hmm. huge portion of that actually does matter. I think it's important to make that connection between, so it's not necessarily that you're just saying meat is bad inherently. It's not like a cosmic reward system. There is practical ways that that does help. The reason that that's something that you've decided to do is because of the much more like practical results of denying yourself that thing. Right. My wife has been a vegetarian for the last six years and it's based on an environmentalist standpoint. She cares about ethical treatment, but like her Mm -hmm. reasoning for vegetarianism is environmentally related because in college she knew and was told all of these statistics and said, well, this is how I make my change. Like this is what she's doing. That is just a step. Doesn't have to be your goal, but small changes like that do have Mm -hmm. practical real world side effects. And I mentioned earlier, I feel like I'm very much in the beginning baby steps of this as well. So I feel you if you're there and you're like feeling anxious, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Deep breaths. One of my favorite ways to start anything, like you mentioned, Anson is research. And my favorite way to research is by watching movies. And so this is something my husband and I actually did this weekend. There's a nature documentary 
that was actually made by a Christian biologist. It's called The Riot in the Dance. And you can watch it on Amazon. And it's really, really beautiful. It's like planet Earth level beautiful. But then bringing in these perspectives of like, this is God's creation. Look how incredible Mm. this is. And for me, it just helps me appreciate it. And I think like you mentioned earlier, Isaac, worship of God through appreciation of his created works Mm -hmm. is something that can help you understand like, why am I doing this? Right. And so something like that is really helpful for me, but also practically not just, you know, okay, cool. I watched a cool documentary. Right. I got the why. <laughs> now you kind of move on to the what, right? Right. And so I think for me, we were, my husband and I were talking about this actually last night. We do produce a lot of trash. Mm. <laughs> and so we were like, you know, I wonder if there's a way that we could reduce even just a little bit and and start doing better about recycling, even though it's inconvenient or, or, you know, we don't have a bin that we set out on the curb. Like it's really not that far. Is there a way that we can reduce that just a little yeah, bit? Yeah, And I think it's okay to acknowledge the fact that like, look, uh, some people might say, if I change a couple habits in my life, is that really going to make right. a, an overall impact on the state of the entire earth? Frankly, probably not. But the cumulative effect of those things can absolutely add up. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe even more importantly than that, like, what is God calling you to do personally? Like, what do you feel like you have been called to do personally to be responsible for creation care where you live and where you are and in your own kind of immediate environment? Yeah. And I think that's got to be kind of the place that we have to Mm -hmm. start because Mm -hmm. it can be really easy otherwise to get overwhelmed by this. Well, I can't, I can't actually just personally get rid of all the trash floating around in the ocean. Right. 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 But there are little things that I can do that hopefully when combined with other people's choices can make an impact. And most importantly, I'm being obedient to what Mm -hmm. God's calling me to do. So maybe it's what Isaac's talking about with giving up a burger. Maybe that's a place where you feel like you can start. Maybe not. If it's not, here's some other things. Reusable bags. This Mm. is something that Dree started doing a while back. One, because it's actually like more convenient. You can fit more groceries in the reusable bags than you can the little plastic grocery bags. And I mean, we were at the point where like we had so many plastic grocery bags (laughs) stuffed (laughs) under our sink and in our garage and all these places. These things get thrown out and end up in landfills and you can go read all of the ways that animals can suffocate on them and all the terrible things that they do for the environment. But that's a that's a really easy change. You can get a couple reusable bags to use when you go to the grocery store store, right? Mm. Uh, Another thing that you can do, print as little as necessary. You don't need to tell me this twice because I hate (laughs) printers. I hate printing out things because I feel like printers never work right. Uh, right? Stop printing out a copy of every single reading when you come to class. Sign up for paperless billing through Mm. places. Do it through email. That's another really easy one to do. Recycling is another one I think that is, is a pretty low barrier to entry in most places now. Yeah. Obviously it depends on where you live and what mm-hmm. programs are offered, but in most places there's at least some semblance of a recycling program that yeah. exists. And it's really not that hard, even though my wife had to work on me a little bit <laughs> to get me to throw the thing in this bin instead of that bin <laughs> and take two bins out to the street instead right. of just one. Yes. Yes. It's a little bit more of a pain than just taking out the one, <laughs> yeah. but it really didn't change my life for the bad all that much. And it's something that I've been able to adjust to, right? Using a reusable beverage container is a big deal, right? So those, um, what are they called? The Yeti cups or something or a Nalgene or whatever it is that you like. 
those things are great. They're better than water bottles anyway. They keep yeah. your water cold even when it's sitting in the car. A lot of the stuff, it's not even that you're necessarily like sacrificing That's or giving up something. You save money over it. time using a Nalgene because you're not buying plastic bottled water every right. time you need water. Yeah. Absolutely. So so that's another thing that you can do. Or this one might be my personal favorite. I don't know why this one speaks to me, but I think it's just a dad <laughs> thing. Like dads are somehow required by cosmic law <laughs> to turn off all of the lights in the house yeah. whenever possible. Oh, yes. yep. Saving electricity, right? Yeah. We save electricity. And hey, if it's partially selfishly motivated because I have to pay less of an electric bill, yeah. fine. That's, That's okay. not a problem. That's okay. That's a good thing too, right? It's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. Shut off stuff when you're not using it. Shut yeah. off computers, shut off lights, that yep, kind of for thing. Sure, for sure. My point in just bringing up a bunch of those different options is just to say, if you hear one of those things and you go like, I don't know if I'm quite ready to do that. Like, yeah, take it one step at a time. Yeah. yeah. Don't feel like this is an all or nothing thing yeah. where mm-hmm. you have to do literally all of it. You have to go vegan. You have to. It's n- incremental. Never... <laughs> We've got a theme for this That's episode. Right. Absolutely. It's incremental. <laughs> what are some little things that I could do that make mm-hmm. sense to me yes. that I'm passionate about? Yeah. Or that God, I feel like there's the sense that God is calling me to take these steps. Mm-hmm. Be obedient in those steps. And see where that takes you as opposed to feeling guilty for saying, hey, there's trash out in the ocean. And if I don't do something, the dolphins are going to die. Right. (laughs) Just do what you can do where you are at and what God is calling you and go from there. Okay, guys, so we just suggested a bunch of practical ways that people can make small changes to be better stewards of our planet. For me, that is making small changes to my diet. I'm right in the middle of Lent, which I opted to not eat fast food for the entire Lent season. Mm. Good for you. It's been really hard (laughs) because being in a house married to a vegetarian, most of my meat consumption comes from the kernel and it comes from (laughs) Chick-fil-A and it comes from Popeye's. So now... I'm in this place where I'm going like, well, I might as well just do vegetarian for Lent. That's fine. Whatever. Fine. It's difficult. I don't know if you guys have had a hamburger. <laughs> They're amazing. Um, they are. That in this season is personally what I'm opting for. Wow. One of the things that I have been kind of convicted by, mostly by my wife, is saving water. It's funny how certain things we think about and others we don't. I just said a few minutes ago, electricity. I'm all over that. Yeah. Turn all the lights off. Water? (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Right? Like I turn on the faucet while I'm sitting there brushing my teeth and it's just running in the background. And my wife is like, turn that off. You're not even (laughs) using that water. You're just wasting water. And so that's something that I'm trying to work on. That's good. Don't turn on the shower until you're ready to get in. Yeah. Right? Mm. Don't turn on the water until you're actually ready to use it when you're brushing your teeth. Yeah. It's not even. Yeah. You you want to take a longer shower every once in a while that's hot and fine. Yeah. But don't use it when you're not actually using it. Right. So I feel like that's just one really basic thing I can start Mm. with. Try to watch my water consumption. For sure. And that's a good one. So I'm like I mentioned the trash thing, the recycling thing. I used to be better at it when I lived in town and there was like a little box that I put on the curb. Mm -hmm. But now we live just outside the city limits. And so Uh, it's a little bit more effort, but not that much if I'm really honest about it. So I think my small step is maybe investigating. Is there a place in our house we could just put a box mm, that we could put stuff in to recycle? And once every couple of weeks, once a week, whatever, mm-hmm. make the trip over right. to the recycling center. It's even on our side of town. It's not even that far. So I may I may talk to my husband about that, see if we can carve out a space. I'm also going to award all of us Captain Planet points today because <laughs> nice. in the office, we're all using reusable cups. Yes, so shout always. out to that. <laughs> Already saving the planet's dolphin blood. That's right. 
Thanks for listening to the Real Talk podcast from Real FM. Catch Afternoons with Anson and Kara live every weekday on Real FM Radio. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of John Brown University, KLRC Radio, or Real FM. Before we get to this, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. Yes. <laughs>